I believe today that any success I have or any new person that I've worked with or spent time with that's having great success, 80% of what they do is going to be mindset and 20% is having the right systems. But your ability to like implement those systems and follow them and not try to be, you know, let me just do it my way. Uh, that's the mindset piece of it. So I'm very open to failure and this lack of fear of failure has actually made the failure go away. I feel like a lot of failure is created from the fear of having it. Like we start building these very robust, redundant systems to protect against these small failures. And it ends up being that the thing we create to protect against the failure is so much bigger than the actual failure. And it makes yeah, yeah. the business very, uh, very fat and very slow. And, and that's the secret to being recession proof is that you have to be part of the top 10% that doesn't even get affected by. So when economies downturn for someone like me, opportunity happens. And that is coming up next on Bootstrapping Your Dreams show. So stay tuned. So the big question is this. How are ambitious people like us who don't have a lot of resources, did not go to Ivy League colleges, we're not born into wealth. How do we become resourceful enough? Use our creativity, our dedication, and a little bit of crazy to bootstrap our way to realizing our dreams. Whether it is launching a new company, launching a new app, or making it to the top of the corporate ladder. That is the question. And this podcast will give you the answers. We have created a tremendous community of bootstrappers, entrepreneurs and professionals who are ambitious, resourceful and want to get things done. We brainstorm, support and help each other out. So come join us. Navigate to bootstrapping.group. Join today and get the Startup Founders Technology Accelerator video series absolutely free. If you enjoy this video, then do let us know by hitting that like button now. Or if you want us to improve our content, then go ahead and hit that thumbs down button and give us your honest feedback in the comment section below. Here at Tetra Noodle, we are passionate about entrepreneurship, technology and innovation. Every week we bring you insightful and engaging videos, interviews, tips, tricks and strategies to help you grow your business or rise in your corporate profession. If you're new here, please do consider subscribing and do not forget to hit that bell icon so that you are notified when we publish new content. Hello and welcome to this new episode of Bootstrapping Your Dreams show. I'm your host Manoj Agarwal and today we'll be talking with Michael Green. Michael is a successful house flipper and the host of the Flip Factor podcast. But at one point in time, this success was just a teenage boy's dream. At the age of 15, prompted by late night infomercials, Michael bought the book No Money Down by Carlton Sheets, uh, which planted the seed of eventually becoming a house flipper. However, the road to success wasn't always easy. Growing up next to the projects in Baltimore, Michael found himself getting into trouble and his relationship with his dad was built on breaking the law. He started out as a flooring installer and in 2008, he was doing a job for a gentleman flipping houses named Jason Shara. Sensing his curiosity and interest in the industry, he invited Michael to a free meeting for house flippers. And at that meeting, Michael was introduced to his first mentor. And after just a few months since uh, after studying under his mentor, uh, he made his first deal and made $16,000 without a single penny of his own money. For the next year, he continued doing flips and made more than $106,000. And um, in 2009, he was able to leave his uh, full-time job and uh, has been flipping houses ever since. Awesome. Welcome, Michael. Welcome. Thank you for having me on. All true stuff. 
Like felt awesome. like I was rich when I made that money, by the way. I yeah, yeah. Before. I bet, I bet. Um, so, uh, you know, we just sort of touched upon a glimpse of your story, but maybe you can elaborate a little bit more. Uh, how was your uh, journey? You know, what kind of troubles you got into and uh, how, how was your journey in the house flipping uh, 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 business? And I'm sure you had some ups and downs in that as well. Yeah, I think we all do, right? To be realistic, a lot of times we think it's this easy road. You just overnight make success. There's a magic wand that's going to make you an awesome house flipper. And uh, it's just not true with anything in life. <clears throat> so for me, when I got in trouble as a kid, it was one of my biggest shifts. I think it's the time when I went from being like this young punk who grew up on welfare and, you know, fighting and getting in trouble and just doing what a lot of people did in my neighborhood and end up getting in some trouble where I had to spend some time. Uh, I call it at the country club, but it's prison. And uh, I got to read and really educate myself and transform into someone. I'd never really had a role model. And I read a book when I was, uh, when I was uh, away at country club and it was a uh, think and grow rich. And it was the first time I really ever had an opportunity to read uh, really cool stuff from very high level people. I'd never been exposed to anything like that in my life because I just been exposed to very low level, like criminal type, like project type stuff. You know, the projects in America is like, you know, where everybody lives that are, it's poor, you know, basically the government pays for a place. So we're not homeless and, uh, you know, gives us free cheese and stuff like that so we can eat. And, uh, it's just not a great place and you don't have great mentors or high level role models there. So my first real role models came from books and reading books and educating myself. I made a big shift when I was 21 and I changed my life around and really started being positive working. And that's when I got into the flooring and, and I had always dreamed of doing flips. I mean, from a teenager to, you know, all the way until my thirties when I finally did my first flip and the, it was inspired by all the flip this house and flip that house and all the different shows. I love watching those shows and, and yeah. always they make everyone look like they're so dumb on those shows and you like you said, <laughs> you know, Jim, you're like why are they doing that you know you're like armchair quarterbacking them and, and I was like I feel like I'm smarter than those people and obviously you know was not for sure but you, know, you think that when you're watching TV and and uh, one day I get the opportunity to, to join this mentor and I'm completely broke I'm like 100k in debt and, and uh, he shows me how to max out my credit cards and, and put 7600 bucks down and pay him some payments and uh, best thing I ever did because uh, about six weeks later, I had my first 16K deal and I was able to pay off the 15K and keep a thousand bucks for myself. But more importantly, I'd kind of you know, I kind of cracked the code. Like there was a shift in my brain because see everything up to that point, you know, we, we all thought I could do it, but it never was truly reality. And you know, you know, we always have that doubt of like, you know, can a poor kid like me who only has a 10th grade education, am I really qualified to do this? Or is this just something that only certain people do? And so when I did my first flip, it was like the shift of like belief like total belief, like I can actually do this. And that's how I was able to kind of do a bunch more. And, and then a year later, I, I took the big jump and quit my job, which was really scary and difficult because, uh, you know, I'd done that for years and, you know, I'd been raised to be an employee and not to be an entrepreneurial person, even though in my heart, I wanted to be nothing but an entrepreneurial person. But, you know, our parents always tell us, you know, keep a steady job. Don't, don't be crazy. Don't take that risk. And, uh, but when I had a hundred K sitting in the bank for someone who grew up eating welfare cheese, a hundred, K felt rich. I mean, it's not, it's not a lot of money these days, I realize, but uh, it was a lot for me because I don't think before that I'd ever had 5K in the bank, honestly. So it was uh, like a pretty big change for me. And it gave me the, the, um, the, you know, gave me the confidence to go ahead and take a shot 
of doing, you know, doing this on my own. And, and when I made the shift, I had a couple flips going. So I wasn't, you know, I was actually doing some stuff. I had some money to back me up and I did a couple flips on my own and then a partner up with this guy and uh, he had a bunch of cash. I only had a little bit of cash and uh, we ended up doing uh, about 900 flips together over the next six years. Wow. So we really wow. grew a very cool business. And uh, about three years ago, me and him had learned everything from each other we could, and we were best of friends. And we decided to kind of scale our businesses down. And uh, so we went from doing about 150 houses a year to, you know, separately doing maybe like, you know, 50 houses a year. And, and I was just wow. making a little more simple business. But it was pretty cool because for me, that was my second shift in this business is where I went from this like uh, Gary V work until two in the morning kind of thing uh, to like, hey, maybe I can actually enjoy some of this cool stuff I've learned. And, and now I work about 20 hours a week. I get to travel. I get to you know, do my podcast, give back, help back, uh, be just, you know, do cool things that are more based on like some of my passions and dreams and giving back to the community. And, uh, first seven years was all me, right? It was all building something. Cause I, you know, I was very fearful of losing it. So I had to hold on tight. And now, now I feel like I've, uh, gotten to where it kind of runs itself and feels, I feel very confident around it. That's awesome. That's a great story. Um, now, two things you mentioned, which I really want to dig deeper into. One is, uh, you know, this mind shift that happened after reading that book, uh, Think and Grow Rich. Uh, and also, you know, as you made progress, uh, you continuously sort of removed the barriers that you had put in front of your in front of you, uh, or these artificial barriers, right? As you as you put it, uh, and your uh, mindset shifted. So. Uh, how important was that? Like, you know, a lot of people get bogged down just because of their own uh, limitations that, that they're, they're not real. So tell us a little bit about that. Um, yeah, I think it's natural that we don't want to fail. And I mean, we're very social and think about how you feel when you fail in a, in a social environment. You, you know, it's like uh, you, you could be kicked out socially, right? You could be thought to be a fool and none of us want to be a fool. So um, I had so many limiting beliefs and I think today I'm 43 and I'm still dealing with them. And, and when we, we say how important is it, I believe today that any success I have or any new person that I've worked with or spent time with that's having great success, 80% of what they do is going to be mindset and 20% is having the right systems, but your ability to like implement those systems and follow them and not try to be, you know, let me just do it my way. Uh, that's the mindset piece of it. So there's every day I have like these perfect systems I put in place that if I follow them, I get in a very exact result. I mean, I've tested them, I've tweaked them over all these flips and you just have to follow them and it's like magic. Now, every once in a while, I wonder why something went wrong. And then I look back and I realize, um, oh, wow, I didn't follow my own system. And I realized that's the human part of it, right? That's the part, that's the mindset. So yeah, that never goes away. It gets better, right? We, we get better at controlling it over time. So a lot of my struggles have been, uh, you know, for many years, I had a struggle finding deals and I'd become a motivated buyer. So I would go and have like a good year and then, then I get really motivated because me and my partner want to grow. Part of how we got to 150 is we were always growing super fast. One of the things I would say that put us in a very, um, a scarcity mindset versus an abundant mindset. So we were always, motivated buyers and sometimes that would get the best of us so we'd have where good two years and then we'd have a bad year and then you know it was up and down right I felt like our business was never consistent it wasn't until like in the last couple of years I got really thoughtful of controlling and managing that mindset and I found a way to get myself very abundant so this is why when I do about 50 deals a year I only renovate about 30 or 35 of them and I wholesale the rest now I love renovating everything but and I never like to wholesale anything because I make more money when I renovate and it's pretty easy for me but by having 
the 15 deals that I wholesale gives me abundance to know that I always have deals waiting and sitting. I can swap out one deal now. I can really kind of master the timing of bringing the deal in at the right time. And I'm always making good decisions when I have more deals than I need. But if I just buy the 35 I want to renovate, then and I kind of feel very scarcity, right? I'm very, uh, very needy. And I don't want to be needy because I feel like we make bad choices regardless of how long we've been doing this or how smart we are. Um, you can't beat your own mindset. And even with a lot of experience, what we learn with experience is to create optimal environments. So for me, having more deals than I need is a very optimal environment for me. That's great. And um, yeah, I mean, uh, this is a very important, uh, another very, very important topic. This, even if you have a positive mindset, uh, it could be, uh, you know, you could be sort of bogged down by a scarcity mindset. So how did that come about? Like, even though, you know, you, you've been, you were doing that for a while, you were successful, you're doing 150 flips, which mm -hmm. uh, by any stretch of imagination for, you know, somebody who's not in real estate definitely sounds like a very, very successful business, but still you are saying that you were in a scarcity mindset. So how did you sort of, first of all, realize that you are in that mode, even though you were very successful? Well, you know, honestly, so they're the big shift that I would say that helped me realize these kind of things and has really helped me get to a better place in my business, my life, my family and friends is being very humble about where I am. Even though I'm 10 years in, I'm well over 1100 flips. I realize I used to think you became successful at this, right? And you, you, okay, I'm a good house flipper. I realize now it's a journey for the rest of my life and there's no such thing as mastery or being a great house flipper because this game is consistently changing and, you know, the markets are changing and techniques are changing. People are getting smarter every day right and it's we're always in this like chess match to beat our average competitor so we have to keep improving so we have to take this position of being humble and and not getting cocky and anytime I've gotten cocky in the past I've paid the price so a, a lot of what I've been working on the last three years is you know after doing a bunch of houses in seven years I always focused on technique and how to be a better house flipper now I'm focusing more on what's called emotional intelligence and it's kind of the hot thing now getting smarter understanding my own behaviors um, this has really helped me and big way with working with my contractors. And it's one of the reasons I have very consistent contractors, which is usually unheard of. I get things done on time, on budget, because I've been able to emotionally, from a very high emotional level, connect with them, figure out what they want, what I need, and find and bridge that gap. And uh, so really studying emotional intelligence, I've started doing a lot, spending a lot of my coaching money on that kind of stuff. You see, for years, I didn't think that was, I always thought there was this new technique I had to learn. And eventually when I got into this inner work, which I think for a lot of people is the hardest work to do, by the way, this inner work was hard. Going to a three day seminar and learning about like uh, house flipping systems is like, I'm with my people. That's the stuff I love. And I can do that all day. It's just fun. But uh, getting in there and doing that deep work at that was stressful and hard, but really rewarding. So that was pretty how much how I'm starting to get like this whole different shift in how I see things uh, and being very humble, staying very curious, you know, and uh, not being very judgmental of like, oh, look at that person. They're doing it wrong. You know, we all have something to offer. I've learned some super cool stuff from people who have done two flips. And I've also learned some things not to do from people who have done, you know, doing 300 flips a year. So, yeah, yeah, there's there's a lot to learn from every level. Exactly. Yeah, no, I mean, um, uh, you know, just to share uh, my uh, perspective on that, I completely agree that the inner perspective is much more important than whatever is going on outside. And uh, through my journey, like I have also sort of come to that realization. Um, and uh, when that shift happens, you know, things become so much easier. You know, it, you, you get into this state of flow where you're not stressed out all the time, but you're enjoying the process, right? 
Yeah, well said. I feel like you just nailed it. Right? It goes from like, you, okay, so for many years I could do this, but it was really a very special moment when I could do it with ease and do it without yeah. being stressed and do it in 15 hours a week. And uh, I call that getting to the Yoda level, right? We always have like, oh, okay, you're a really good house flipper. There's this level where, level where you start to feel like Yoda from Star Wars and you're very wise, but it takes time, takes energy. It takes a lot of self-reflection, a lot of work and a lot of reading books and talking to other people and masterminding. It's all about staying connected to the community. For many years, I always kind of stayed in my own little cave and you know just worked on my systems and I never really reached out. I wasn't very vulnerable. And now it's all about like really connecting in a big way. So I love the community. I love sharing on the podcast. I love just being like, Hey, I messed this up this week. People be like, Hey, here's what I did. And you know, that's all the fun now, right? I'm very open to failure. And this lack of fear of failure has actually made the failure go away. I feel like a lot of failure is created from the fear of having it. Like we start building these very robust, redundant systems to protect against these small failures. And it ends up being that the thing we create to protect against the failure is so much bigger than the actual failure and it makes yeah, yeah. the business very, uh, very fat and very slow. And so I have to realize that some things are part of the equation in this, right? We, we have to calculate it into the equation that, Hey, there's going to be some stuff that doesn't go perfect. And uh, yeah, if you, accepting it. Uh, one of my coaches told me that, uh, you know, it's like going into rush hour traffic and complaining, you know, there's going to be traffic. So don't complain about it. You can't, yeah. you can't flip a house and then get crazy when someone's two days late, because that's part of the, it's like being in rush hour traffic, right? We know that. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And, uh, and to your point, you know, once you are uh, not stressed out inside, you are able to connect with other people better. And hence, you know, it's all about, uh, social interaction, all businesses based on social interaction. And so when those interactions improve, um, automatically the business improves as well, right? 100%. Yeah, I mean, that's a, a great lesson. I wish I had talked to you a couple of years ago, because that's <laughs> very, very wise advice that you're giving. And honestly, well, that's, that, that was my difference in approach with my contractors was, you know, I go in, something would be done wrong. And I'd be like, how'd you guys miss this? I just start off like, what do you got? You missed that? What about this and that? When's this getting done? And they're like, looking at me like this jerk. And, and now I'm very thoughtful, even though I'm thinking that in my head, sometimes I, I shut it up. I find the positive and I'm like, Hey, great job on that. Love this. Thank you for getting this done. Hey, do you, Hey, let's talk a little bit about these couple of things. Can we, can we knock those out tomorrow? And they're like, Oh yeah, no problem. No problem. Yeah. My friend. And everything's yeah. awesome. Right. They don't leave feeling like I've disrespected them. And my stress levels went down because I'm not going in there and like going crazy. Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, uh, the thing is like, you know, um, I'm noticing uh, myself, I have uh, had my challenges with this, issue as well. And only recently I have sort of, you know, tried to um, coach myself and get some help from other people and uh, adopted things like meditation and uh, which has really helped me understand myself. So, uh, so if, if you don't mind, I, I want to spend a little bit more time on this topic. What are some of the things that you do to cultivate that emotional intelligence and to sort of, you know, get in sync with yourself and, and fine tune your, uh, your vibration? Yeah, I think a lot of people talk about this morning routine thing, and uh, I've been pretty big on it. I wake up the same time every day, and I spend my first hour uh, working out, you know, drinking some coffee, you know, stretching if it's not a workout day, and and really thinking about the things I'm grateful for. And uh, it's so simple, but I feel like we easily just don't do it. We forget how lucky we are to wake up, how lucky we are to have a home over our head, and just how fortunate we are to live in, you know, Canada, America. These are great countries, right? There's a lot of countries out there where they're not so 
so fortunate and uh, we yeah. have so many gifts, so many opportunities in these countries and you know, how fortunate are we right to have that and the opportunities of have a flipping business that, you know, like I, I remember complaining like a year ago, I had my worst year ever. I joined this big mastermind and I got real focused on growing without being thoughtful of like all the core concepts that I had built over the years. I ended up having my worst year ever, but my worst year ever, I made 400 K and I, and I figured you imagine me complaining to someone that I made 400 K net when I only live on a hundred. So I don't even like totally made three times more than I even need. And, uh, and I, you know, you have to step back a little and realize how awful that even sounds. Now it's, I'm very competitive and I want to grow and I want things to be better. And I was more disappointed in the fact that from my emotional intelligence standpoint, I got caught up in wanting to be like the other people in this group instead of being a leader of the group and telling everyone how like, Hey, you don't need to do 300 houses. So my big thing I've been doing now is I've been scaling down the profit up. So every year I do less volume, but I make more money because I'm creating bigger profit margin. Uh, so mm -hmm. I've actually made that shift from there. But I remember thinking like, how crazy is that to even think that? And a friend of mine used to tell me this all the time. We're lucky to have bad years that are better than everyone else's good years. How fortunate yeah. are we to have that? So really shifting to being humble and thinking, being grateful. Um, that's some powerful stuff. If you start your day from, and honestly, I, I do the same exercise before I go on any flip. I make sure that before I walk into a flip, when my contractors are going to be there, um, that I walk through and find things to be grateful for before I say one word about anything I see, because I'm a very critical thinker. So I can see all the very quickly, like, what's that? What's this? And what's going on there? And it's just, it's easy for me. And sometimes it's too easy and it comes off as me not being appreciative. And I actually treat myself the same way where I'm very hard on myself and pushing myself. Uh, so I have to do the same thing with myself personally. This isn't yeah. just with my contractors and with everyone else. I have to sit back and give myself some praise because I often been very hard on myself. And that's what, what drove me to run what we would consider to be a successful business. A lot of that was uh, this inner dialogue of a uh, constant improvement that was beyond you know, happiness, right? I wasn't actually allowing myself to enjoy any of the victories along the way. Uh, so yeah. now I take time to enjoy those victories. So that's part of my daily process. Get up, think about the great stuff, enjoy the victories. Every day we have great victories and bad, good, doesn't matter. Awesome. That's great. Um, that's uh, very enlightening. I'm so happy that you got to that place. Uh, now let's get back to business and talk about uh, flipping houses. So uh, tell us a little bit about, uh, you know, you mentioned uh, wholesaling, you mentioned flipping. So, you know, uh, people who are not initiated in the real estate industry, uh, what are these terms um, and how are they different? So there's two things you do. You, you know, how we make money as real estate investors is we market to people who are very motivated that want to sell a house that's in bad condition. So they can't sell it standardly with a realtor who, you know, ultimately is uh, how you normally sell a house. A house has to be in certain condition for a realtor to sell it. So most of the time they'll call us who are like direct buyers who will buy the house as is, where it is, they don't have to pay any commission, but also they don't have to do any repairs. So when we buy these homes and we're buying them at a discount because we're, we're creating convenience for them. So instead of for you know, them having to go through all the headache of fixing it and selling it with a realtor, we make it very convenient. And believe it or not, a lot of people pay for convenience. Every day, we, you know, we could cook a burger at our house and do it cheaper than buying one at a restaurant. 
but we like to go to a restaurant and pay triple because that's convenient that, you know, making a mess in your house. So there's people that will pay you for the convenience of you buying their house without waiting and you doing it in like seven or 10 days. And you know, we get a nice discount for that. You know, they're paying for that service. When we get that house under contract, we have the option of buying it ourselves and then fixing it up like you've seen in the shows and then selling it for a profit. That's one of our options. That would be called a fix and flip. Uh, then the other option we have is when we put it under contract, we can actually take and sell our house that we buy for a hundred K we could sell it to someone else for 110K or 120K, which is called assignment of contract or a wholesale deal, meaning we put it under contract and we sold the opportunity. We assigned the opportunity to another investor who does not have that house. So they're willing to pay a premium for the service of you going out and finding it. And uh, that ranges anywhere from 10 to 20K on average. And so you get to make some money and all you have to do is find the deal. Now, a lot of people say that, well, that sounds like free money, but the hardest part often, we have two parts that are very hard, but one of the hardest parts is finding it. And the second hardest part is getting the contractors and done and finished on time and, you know, doing all the things you need to do. So you've done half the work when, when you found the good deal. So people are willing to pay you for that. Yeah. So um, that was going to be my next question. So, you know, obviously now that you're established, uh, you have, uh, um, you have a network, you have a brand, uh, people may approach you, but when you're starting off, how do you find these deals? Like, you know, you have no experience, you have no name. How do you find these deals? Um, because especially when you said that they're not even listed on, uh, on the, on the listing uh, MLS listing or whatever with the realtors. Yeah, so in Canada, I actually have worked with some people in Canada, so a little bit different rules in America. Uh, in America, we'll send like letters to motivated sellers, people that are say agent, like a landlords who've owned properties for a really long time. And, you know, they might want to sell it because now it's kind of out of date or maybe someone is, you know, not paying the rent. You see that a lot. And you can do a lot of stuff like a PPC, which is Google pay-per-click. And you basically put in like, we buy houses or sell my house for cash. That works really good. I believe your Craigslist is at Kijiji. Is that the mm -hmm. name of it? Yeah, no, so. Craigslist. We, we use uh, both Craigslist as well here. Oh, cool. So yeah, both of those, you can use Craigslist or Kijiji, I think is the name of the other one. It's similar to Craigslist and mm -hmm. uh, you can do ads on there and you can find people. You can look, some stuff is on the MLS. You can find distressed houses on the MLS. Um, you can also get like list of probate people and call them. You can door knock them. You can put signs out is very common where they put a little sign you've seen. It says we buy houses. So essentially we're just trying to attract someone who is looking for a, uh, as is sale, like wants to just sell it direct to the buyer. And that's who we are we're kind of cutting the agent out essentially like that's the seeker we want to get the because the agent represents a commission they would have to pay but they also yeah. represent a more problematic way of selling for someone who has a house that's in out-of-date condition or needs a lot of repairs yeah, yeah. okay and so now uh, let's say you found a deal but uh, since the house has these issues maybe it's not well maintained maybe the rent is not coming how do you make it attractive enough to be able to sell it you know obviously one thing you said that you renovated um, maybe let's talk about that aspect first and then maybe follow it up with wholesale like how do you actually make, make it an attractive deal with, for someone else as well mm -hmm. so let's cover both areas so one for fixing it up, you got to know. So we look at the other houses that have been renovated and what they look like. And then we'd figure out what is it going to cost us to make our house look like that? Because that becomes our comparable. When we find a house down the street, that's the same house. Someone already fixed it up. We don't like to create any blaze, any trails. We like just to follow what other people have done and, you know, let, let the, let history tell us what to do. And so we buy a house. We're just looking for comparables. We look at what they've done to it. And then we, we learn how to estimate our own repairs is what high level people 
people do. Sometimes people just get a GC and ask them, but a big part of what shift we've been making is learning how to be our own leaders and estimate our own repairs. Now you don't learn that overnight, but uh, some people learn that working with a coach like me or, or someone else, or just figuring it out on your own, whatever you decide to do, you will need to be able to walk in a house and know that a window to replace a window costs 250 bucks. Uh, or, you know, to do a roof is this much per square to do carpet is going to be this much for every, you know, square yard and a hardwood is this much per square foot. So we call that standardized pricing so that you can walk through a house. You can, with standardized pricing, you can do your own estimates. So instead of now asking contractors for prices, we start to tell them what we pay and it gets a lot easier. And I learned this from Home Depot and Lowe's. They're the, they actually do that exact thing because they're not asking for estimates. They tell people like, Hey, this is what we pay. If you want to work for us, come on. And they know what the right pay is to make sure they can attract people, but not overpay. And that's what we have to do as flippers. We have to make sure that we're not paying too much or too little because too little, no one will work with us too much. We won't make any money. So it's, it's finding that perfect balance. And then you said for a wholesaler, how can we make it attractive? Well, often um, if you're buying a deal at hundred K and let's say that's a pretty solid deal for you, um, maybe you're using what's called hard money and you have some different costs and using a realtor. What we like to do is find someone who has less cost. So maybe they're a realtor themselves, and uh, the perfect dynamic would be uh, the wife is a realtor and the husband's a contractor. So the contractor can do it cheaper because that's his trade and the wife can list it for free because she's a realtor. Well, they could take the same deal I could pay a hundred for, and they could pay a hundred fifteen and make the same thirty k as I would make because they have less cost. So often we're looking for the people who you know maybe have a different way of doing business. Uh, maybe they want to keep it as a rental. Maybe they just have a different strategy. So if we buy it for a hundred. There's almost always someone would buy it for a hundred and ten. Now there's also the scenario if I buy it for a hundred and I'm going to make thirty five. Well, there's some people that don't know how to get deals, so they're more than willing to make 25 and give me 10K of the 35 that they could have made because without me, they don't have a deal. So they're more than happy to make 25 versus nothing. I see. That's great. And, uh, you know, uh, this is where um, uh, the late night infomercials come in where they say no money down, buy any real estate, buy any house. So how true is that? Like, how does this work? Because, you know, I bought a house and I know... I had to put down a significant amount of money. Yeah. So how did this all work? So how it works is um, you, you, okay, you can get no money down, but the belief that I try to tell everyone is you need some money, right? If you're starting a business, there's no such thing as any business that doesn't require some money. So if someone was trying to get into house flipping and they had some savings, maybe like 10K, they'd have to use some of that to hire a coach, someone that's going to help guide them through the process and help them build it out. They're going to need a little bit of money to kind of get them through the way why it takes them a couple months to get started. And then from that point on, they could borrow all the money from what's a hard money lender or a private lender, someone else who wants to invest, but does not want to do the work. So there's a lot of people out there who are like, I have money, but I'm totally not getting in this place with a hammer and I'm not dealing with contractors and I'm not going to go find a deal. If you're willing to do that, then I'll put the money up and you do all the work and we'll split it 50, 50. So that's how you get in what's perceived to be no money down. But I want to be really clear because I think that sometimes people come in and they're like living in a van or totally broke and can't eat. Mm -hmm. And they're like, I'm going to do house flipping. You do need a little bit of stake to get into the poker game, right? You got to be able to come to the table with a little bit of money to fund yourself. So ideally you'd, you'd have like, if you're broke, 
and you're unemployed, I would suggest get a job first and start saving a little bit of cash. Make sure you have a little bit of money, a little bit of savings so that you can do this on your spare time. That's how I got into it. I did it all in my spare time. Uh, but you do need some money. Now, me, I found a partner and that partner put that money up for me my first flip. And uh, so I did not need any money, but I did need the 15K, the 7,600 that I put on my credit cards to get the person to teach me. So there is some money involved, but I think the reward and house flipping is above and beyond any opportunity I've seen out there. When you think about buying a Subway or a, you know, a McDonald's franchise, I mean, they're very big investments. And you know, for flipping, you can probably 10 or 15K just to be able to fund your business while you're getting it up and running. I think it's a small investment for, for the returns you make. I think it's why a lot of people love it and are very, very attracted to it. That's great. Now, um, I'll bring up uh, another sort of a, a point which may be sort of, you know, um, negative in one way, or maybe yeah, I'm just trying to play devil's advocate here. So, uh, you know, in 2008, a lot of people lost money uh, trying to flip houses. So how can you uh, ensure or be aware of whatever is happening so that as you're going through this journey, you do not get caught up once again in that kind of environment where a lot of people lost a lot of money? Yeah, that's a really good question. And honestly, it's one of my things I think about all the time because I, I don't really have a plan B. I'm a house flipper for life. So I'm not all that employable anymore. So I'm constantly thinking about, are we going to have a shift in the next couple of years because the market is very high? And uh, and I've really have studied a lot of people who've been through multiple downturns and I've gotten a lot of great feedback. And what I've come to realize is a secret to making it through any recession, what I call being recession proof, is for you to be in and out the deals quickly because recession don't happen overnight. Even in 2008, that was like a year for that to really hit. The problem was no one was listening when they were saying it was happening. People were just like, it ain't happening. We're good. You know, cause nobody wants to believe that something bad's happening. We all want to put our heads in the sand and, and, uh, and unfortunately it's human nature to do so. Um, the second thing is for you to really become a master of your craft. If you're going to get into a business, you need to learn it, right? You need to either get coached. You need to get, you really need to know your stuff somewhere or the other, right? You can't go out and just figure it out through the school of hard knocks because if there is a downturn, it, in the downturn, really the top, like the, well, I'll call it the bottom 20%, the worst flippers are the ones that usually get eradicated and knocked out, but most flippers still make it. There's a lot of people that lose money, but there's also a lot of people who make really bad choices. And those choices are made because most people think if you want to get into house flipping, well, no, I'm not going to pay a coach. I'm going to actually go to a realtor I know, and they'll tell me how to do it. And they do not know anything about house flipping. I mean, they, even if they flipped houses before, like a really good realtor who was, if they were really a good house flipper, they wouldn't be doing the realtor job because I'm actually a realtor too. And I don't do the realtor job because there's way more money and being a house flipper. So um, a lot of times, you know, when they're realtors and maybe they flipped a house or two, people think that, oh, well, they can give me advice. And what happens is they're giving you very retail advice. They're not thinking like an investor. They're thinking like a retail person. And that's generally, so my biggest loss ever is I lost like 31,000 and it was on my fourth deal I did. And it was because my realtor, and this is back when I listened to a realtor and they told me this was that and it would sell for this and they were wrong. And they just weren't doing enough due diligence to protect me. And from that point on, I made a pact that I'm going to learn how to do my own comparables. I'm going to make my own choices. And when my money's being risked like this and the realtor had no loss in that, um, I'm going to protect myself. I'm going to educate myself so that I can protect myself. And that's the secret to being recession proof is that you have to be part of the top 10% that doesn't even get affected by. So when economy's downturn for someone like me, opportunity happens. It's the same thing Warren Buffett believes. You know, he always is waiting 
waiting for the downturn. Yeah. And that's what we're waiting for now is there will be a downturn in the future, but we're very, very well positioned for it and excited for it, by the way, and from awesome. many standards. That's great. Awesome. And uh, so what, what do you do now? Do you coach people? Uh, how, like, how do you, how do you work with others now? So right now, I mean, obviously I teach people in the podcast and I, I'm very just, you know, content, very just open book. And, and we do do a mastermind where I work with a small group of people. It's not like a nationwide thing where, but I just work with a handful of people who want to really scale their business and learn this, you know, take and become masters of like the construction piece, finding deals, all the stuff that really matters. Um, the, you know, and I fought, take them through the same process that's worked for me and that I've spent a lot of money in coaching, learning myself. So that way I, you know, what's worked for me and I am actually actively a flipper right now. So I'm teaching exactly what I do every day, you know, which is a lot of fun. And since my business runs really well, I have time to do that now. And uh, I still make all my money house flipping and not coaching. So I keep it very affordable and, and kind of easy for people to get into. That's great. Well, thank you so much uh, for being with us. Now, before I let you go, can you tell us how people can reach out to you? Uh, if anyone wants to reach me, um, you can come to my website, which is uh, the Flip Factor, theflipfactor.net, or you can email me at mike at theflipfactor.net. Thanks a lot for uh, being here, sharing so openly, uh, sharing everything about your, yourself, uh, the good, bad, and ugly. Uh, yeah, it has been a very fascinating conversation. Thank you. No, you're welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And that's all for now. Until next time. Now. If you are an entrepreneur or a career professional, then I invite you to join our growing community. Navigate to bootstrapping.group. As a welcome bonus, you will get the Startup Founders Technology Accelerator video series and Mastering Your Inner Game video series absolutely free. This series of short videos address some core issues which are instrumental in helping you move forward in your business or career. The videos are yours to view and share for free. No obligations or strings attached, except for one. You have to take action and implement it. So join us today, navigate to bootstrapping.group. If you want more engaging videos and insightful interviews with industry's thought leaders, then check out the other videos we have picked for you. The link is right there. And if you want to be notified about our new content, please do consider subscribing to our channel.